Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online, internet, around the world church service. I'm so happy that you're here today. I believe that God's Word will build you up. It'll make you strong to do what God has called you to do and to become the person that God wants you to be, and that is the mature believer in Christ. Praise God. Let's take our Bibles today and go to Psalm 66, verse 10, and we're going to receive the holy tithes and offerings. We're going to bring them into the storehouse of God. And of course, it's always good to examine God's Word, the Scriptures, so that we can have a clear understanding of God's plan, God's will for our lives, particularly in the area of our finances. Now, verse 10, for you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. And my friends, that's just part of the path that God has for us so that we can be good stewards of what we have so that we can appreciate it and protect it and, uh, uh, you know, watch over it and take good care of it. That's what all of that testing will uh, create. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. And so we come into these, uh, what, what I would call adversarial circumstances sometimes, just like the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Sometimes we encounter situations that will try our faith and it's like test time. Everything that we've studied and prepared for, now we get to apply in those moments where we would be uh, given opportunity to compromise or given opportunity to not walk in obedience to God's word. And so it says, you brought us into the net, you laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. And perhaps you've experienced that where you are in a situation where you're not comfortable with the situation. And maybe it would uh, be the type of situation where it's so bad, the person riding over your head, uh, you, you might even think, you know what, I could probably win a multi-million dollar lawsuit if I were to uh, record or video all the injustices and stuff like that. But you know what, so often in situations like that, God won't allow you because it has a higher purpose, which is for your training and for your edification. And it says, you, you have caused men to ride over our heads. That's always something temporary that God will allow you to walk through. It's never designed to be permanent. And so you go through that and you, uh, you learn examples of poor leadership or weak leadership so that when your time comes to be the leader, you have seen by bad example, what you should not do. And you you know, okay, I'm going to do it the right way. Praise God. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. And that's very important that you understand you go through, you don't stop and drown or, or get burned up. You keep on moving, moving by faith. And then it says, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. The New Living Translation says, you brought us to a place of great abundance. My friends, that's where God's wanting to bring you to. He doesn't want to leave you in the water or fire. He wants you to come through all forms of testing. He wants you to hold to His Word. He wants you to operate by His principles. And He's bringing you out into a place of great abundance. Now, the King James Bible says, but 
you brought us out into a, well, if I'm going to read it technically, but thou brought us out into a wealthy place. I like that, a place of abundance, a wealthy place. The New King James Version says you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Praise the Lord. I like all of that. And uh, the Amplified Bible says you brought us out into a broad place of abundance to be refreshed. Praise the Lord. Holman Christian Standard Bible, you brought us out to abundance. And the Contemporary English Version, you brought us to a land of plenty. Woo, praise God. And the English Revised Version, you brought us out into a wealthy place. My, my friends, God's Word is God's will for your life. You don't need God's help to bring you out into a place of impoverishment. <laughs> you don't need that. You could create that yourself. <laughs> Nobody needs any help to be brought out into a place of having nothing. No, you need God's blessing and God's wisdom to take you into the wealthy place that he has planned for you. And of course, we cooperate with God's word, with God's spirit, and we walk in light of God's word. Where does that take us to? Where are we going to end up at? In a very wealthy place, a place of great abundance. Praise the Lord. Now, as you bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse of the Lord, know where God's journey of faith is taking you to. It's taking you to, in the financial arena, it's taking you, in, you into a wealthy place. And as you bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse today, be mindful of that. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, for those of you that are mailing in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, the zip code 28654. I'm talking a little faster than normal because I have um, a good little bit of territory to cover in today's sermon, and I want to make sure I have time to get that all in there. Now, if you want to bring your tithes and offerings in online, you can do so any time of the day or night from any place in the world. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, it's a joy to see the tithes and offerings when they come in from uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, California, Texas, or uh, uh, the various states of America. And it's a joy to see them when they come in from New Zealand, China, Australia, France, Germany. It's a blessing. And my friends, you can bring the tithe into the storehouse from anywhere in the world. Please go to the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There's a link on the homepage that says give. It has a red heart on it. You can click that and you'll see the designated area for your tithe. And if you would also like to sow an offering into one of the various projects we're focused on, that, my friends, would be greatly appreciated. Now, lift your hands while I pray for your finances. Father, as your people are honoring you through the holy tithe and the offerings, Father, bless your people. Lead them, lead them, lead them into the wealthy place. There may be those that are going through these various tests, and they could sense the water or the fire, or they could maybe somewhere even in a place where somebody else is riding over their head. But Father, I just speak your encouragement to them because they are passing through that, and they're going to come into a place of leadership. They are going to come into a place that is that wealthy place that you have prepared them for, and because of that preparation, when they get there, they will not squander it or blow it 
or mismanagement, but it will be a lifetime setup. Woo! Praise you, O God. And I, I even, you will even position them to have legacy blessing that will speak even, even when their time on earth is complete. Should we have time for that? in light of Christ's soon coming return. So Father, bless, bless, bless your people. Lead them on into that wealthy place. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, my friends, I would like to move into the subject today that I'm going to be teaching on, on the subject of vows. And I would have to say that this is uh, either something that we in the Western church have maybe uh, taken either very lightly or we have dismissed it based upon a few scriptures that we didn't really study out. So we're going to launch into that today. And since we're so close to it, let's start in Psalms 66. We'll drop down just a little bit. Let's go to verse 13 and let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come bringing the light and the illumination and let the scriptures come alive. And Father, let us understand vows from a biblical perspective, from a New Testament perspective, and let us apply them very, very wisely to our lives. And we give you praise. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm convinced that when you do understand the biblical vow, that there is an element that would be a mystery. That is a, there's an element of blessing that of deep, rich blessing that can be released when you understand this covenant element, this mysterious element of a vow to God. Praise the Lord. Psalm 66 and verse 13, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. Now you wouldn't always make a vow when you're in trouble, but how many have actually done that? And uh, it's not rare. Uh, it's not unusual for even Sinners who have heard the gospel, but have not responded. And then they suddenly find themselves in a situation where they're about to die. Maybe they're on a plane and the plane is literally going down and the engines are on fire and it looks like they're all going to, you know, be destroyed and die. And so I've heard testimonies of people who've been in situations like that or out in the ocean adrift with sharks circling and they, uh, they, had a, they had a wise idea. I'm going to make a vow, which is usually what? It's usually something like this. God, if you get me out of this, which there appears no way possible except for you, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll serve you. <laughs> and the reason they're alive is because God heard that vow and responded. Now, there are some that make those types of vows in those types of situations. And then the angels begin to move and something happens and they're delivered out of that situation. But then they start thinking, well, how can I even know if that was really God? Maybe I just got lucky. Maybe, uh, 
maybe we didn't die because, you know, it just kind of worked out this certain way. And maybe I wasn't actually going to die. And so I don't think I really need to keep that vow I made. And, you know, we've heard many stories about those who just kind of forgot about how God delivered them. But for those who really meant business with God, yes, God delivered them and they turned their hearts over to the Lord. Praise God. So you want to keep your vows. And here we see that the psalmist is saying, I will pay you my vows. Praise the Lord. Now, I think in the Old Testament, we see a very clear precedent for vows in, in a certain light. We're going to talk about that, but we must certainly address the things that were said in the New Testament, even by Jesus and by St. James concerning the making of vows. So let's go over now to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, praise the Lord. And we're going to drop down now to verse 33. Matthew 5:33 And this is Jesus speaking. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Well, somebody could read that. And remember, uh, we are told not just to read the Bible, we are told to study the Bible. And Paul, speaking to Timothy, said, study to show yourself approved, a workman that does, that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if you were just to read these few verses that we've looked at, you would completely dismiss yourself from any type of a vow. And you, would, you, might, you might even say, we're not, we're not uh, allowed to even make a vow in light of what Jesus said. But we need to... We need to consider the whole counsel of God. And I'm going to come back to this in just a moment. And I think you'll understand the context better of what Jesus is endeavoring to say. Let's go over to the other statement by James. James chapter 5. Praise the Lord today. James chapter 5. And we're going to go directly to verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall in the judgment. So this is very, very similar to what Jesus said, and they're very closely related. Well, that's enough for me, Pastor Stephen. I'm not having anything to do with the vow after Jesus and St. James. I, uh, I'm not taking any kind of a vow. Mm -mm. Well, isn't this interesting? Look at Acts chapter 18. Let's take a look at this. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centuria, for he had taken a vow. Oh, oh Pastor Stephen, 
Somebody forgot to tell Paul about vows. He's not supposed to do that. No. Paul, uh, being an expert of the law, the most brilliant legal mind that we see in scriptures. If you want to read something that's really deep, that is like a, a very complex legal document, read the book of Romans. <laughs> it's Paul's masterpiece. And when you read it, you are reading something that is written by a man under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, you're seeing, you're seeing the, the, the shades of a man, the reflection of a man who is without doubt a, an intellectual genius. It's a very profound book. So Paul was well-versed in the Old Testament knowledge of all the rules pertaining to, to, to vows, vows regarding family members, vows regarding houses and property and even animals and all of that. He was very, very well-versed in all of that. And he had a lot of what we would call revelation based upon the cross and what Christ accomplished for us and the purpose and the meaning of the new covenant. So it's not like he's going to be caught off guard with something that perhaps James knew about or that Jesus said that uh, he's not aware of. No, he's very aware of that. Again, it says he had his hair cut off at Centuria for he had taken a vow. I remember one time sitting on the front row in a church service in California and I was the guest speaker and I hadn't seen the pastor. He hadn't come out yet. And sometimes like if you're speaking, you'll meet the pastor in the back room well, for whatever reason, although he was a very good friend of mine and uh, administered in his church many times before, he was, he was like tied up in the back office, so I never saw him. I saw his wife and, and greeted everybody else, but uh, uh, he was doing something in, in his back office and didn't come out. So I'm sitting there on the front row, and before he ever came out, while I was sitting on the front row just before the church service started, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, tell Tell Jeff, that's the pastor, tell Jeff when he comes out that he needs to shave all of the hair off of his head because of the vow he just completed. And I thought, oh, 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 Holy Spirit, I, I don't know if I want to tell him that. He's, he's a big guy. He's like, what, maybe six foot seven and real strong. I mean, sweet as a teddy bear, but he's a huge guy and had real nice looking hair. And I just couldn't imagine him. Shave, ball headed. I mean, I, I, I just said, well, Holy Spirit, he might think I'm crazy or something. Now, he's not really going to think I'm crazy because uh, at his church, I would always really be able to be free to flow in the prophetic and the move in the spirit. But I said, Holy Spirit, that's pretty wild to tell him to shave all of his hair off and completely bald. And the Holy Spirit said it again. He said, he said, it is my will for him to shave all of his hair off and tell him when you see him. I said, okay, I'll do that. And so uh, there was a few songs, praise and worship starts, the service begins, and, and then a side door opened, and Jeff came out, the pastor, and when he came out, much to my relief, he had shaved all of his hair off. He was completely bald-headed, and it, it would be kind of shocking, just as shocking as if I stood up here in front of you, and this is all you've ever known is the Stephen Brooks with the hair that I've got, and suddenly you saw me ball hit it. It would really surprise you. Well, that's what happened when I saw him, and he had just, I think it was that morning. It was either, yes, it was that morning, and he had just done it. He had just done it, but he was struggling with it, 
and he had shaved all of his hair off. One of his friends convinced him to do it. There was a friend back in the back room. I found out later that was basically saying, Hey, if you feel God's telling you to do that, you need to do it. Cause he had made a vow to the Lord and he had completed that vow. And he felt that's what the Lord warning wanted him to do. So I was ready to go <laughs> as backup just in case he's not going to, uh, you know, kind of get it on his own. The Holy spirit will help you with these things. Praise God. But thank goodness. I didn't really have to tell him. Now I did tell him when he came down and sat next to him, I said, you know, the Holy spirit was telling me that you're supposed to shave all your hair off. He goes, yeah, I knew that. But I thought, I thought, well, I've never really done anything like this before. So I just, he said, I stopped arguing with God and just did it. Woo, praise the Lord. Mm -mm. That was a fun meeting. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, Paul, my friends, he had taken a vow. Isn't that interesting? In the light of what Jesus and what James both had said. Mm -mm. Well, let's look at another example. And there's many in the New Testament. But for the sake of time, let's go to a to the book of the Revelation. Last book in the Bible, very easy to find. We're going to go to chapter 10, and I'm going to pull this up, and I want to show this to you from a couple of different uh, translations. Praise God. Revelation chapter 10, and this will be, let's start in verse 5. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven. By the way, there are some really big angels. I once saw a national angel, the angel that's over the, the archangel over the nation of Singapore. He was so big and so tall that he had one foot in the ocean and the other foot on the land of Singapore. So this is also a very large angel here. And it says he raised up his hand to heaven and look at verse six and swore by him who lives forever and ever. Who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. Now, the Amplified Bible says that he swore an oath by the name of him who lives forever and ever. The NASB says he swore by him who lives forever and ever. So the Holman Christian Standard Bible, he swore an oath. He swore an oath. Oh, Pastor Stephen, now somebody forgot to tell Paul, do not take an oath. And he went ahead and took an oath and shaved his head off. Who does he think he is? Now, Pastor Stephen, somebody is going to have to go talk to this big angel because he has not read the words of James and Jesus. And here he is swearing and taking an oath. And James certainly said, don't swear. And he swears an oath. What is going on? Context. You have to not lift verses or statements of Scripture out of context and try to build doctrines on them when you're not understanding the full picture of what is being spoken. Praise the Lord. What the angel is doing is just fine. What Paul was doing is just fine in the light of the knowledge that they had concerning oaths. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, in order to understand a little more clearly the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, as we take one more look at those just for a second, Matthew 5, verse 33, 
And let me just move directly to verse 36. Nor shall you swear by your head. In verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And then James saying, make no oath and don't swear on anything. Well, let's stop and think about this just for a moment. What would you think if, just, and just think logically for a moment. What would you think if your spouse and you at your wedding marriage ceremony you're standing there and uh, you know, you got the rings and it's now ready. It's now time to make your vows and your spouse, who's the person you're about to marry, they make their vows. And then when the, uh, that person looks at you and the preacher looks at you and the preacher says, now it's time for you to make your vows. What would the, what would the spouse and everybody in the, in the church or, or, or in the audience think if you said, Oh, I don't make vows. What if I did that to Kelly? Kelly makes a vow to me to be faithful to me, to be committed to me. And what if it came my turn? And I said, no, I, I, I can't make a commitment like that. Mm -mm, mm -mm. I cannot give you any promises. I cannot make a vow to you. She'd, she'd think this is crazy. And it would be, it would be, it, something would be wrong there. What if you went into the courtroom and uh, you're ready to tell the truth and the judge says, well, that's what everybody says. Everybody says they're ready to tell the truth. So we want to we get some substantiation on this. So put your hand on the Bible, okay, and swear to tell the truth. Oh, I can't do that. Well, everybody's going to think, well, what are you, a liar? <laughs> Why won't you tell the truth? Why will you not commit to tell the truth? Well, I don't take vows. I can't take an oath. I can't do something like that. <laughs> what if you're in the military? You're joining one of the uh, various branches of the armed forces, and then they're, they're ready to enlist you, and you have to make the vow. Oh, I'm not, not going to do that. I'm not going to commit to really all. I'm not going to make a verbal commitment. Well, then you're not, you're not going to come into the military or a lot of other things. You can't even get into the country as a legal immigrant. Why? Because if you want to become a citizen, you have to make that vow. You read it off of a card. You memorize it. Mm -mm. Even doctors make a vow. When they make that profession, that quote of taking care of others. And if you want to join a, a monastery, a monk makes a vow. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to give this a try, but I'm, I'm out of here anytime. I don't like this. No, you have to make a vow. And a nun to join a convent has to make a vow. Police officers have to make vows. There's vows all over the place that you have to make in a sense. So let's get a little bit more light on this, even from what Jesus himself said, Matthew chapter 23, and this will begin to open it up some. And then we're going to go back and open James up a little bit. Okay. Matthew chapter 23, verse 16. We're going to drop all the way down to verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, that, that, that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. 
fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Praise the Lord. What Jesus in context is trying to say is that we should never knowingly make a vow that we are not fully committed to keeping. And these religious experts in the law would try to create these fake loopholes that would get them out of the requirements of the law. And they would skirt around these issues of vowing by vowing something. And then later they would change their mind on it. And then that they would want it back because maybe they, they had an emotional moment when they made the vow or something like that. Or they saw others making a vow. And they, they felt compelled. Well, I guess I better make something too. Then they make a vow. And then later they're like, uh-oh, I regret that I did that. And so this is, a, this is the type of thing that Jesus is dealing with here. Because they were making their own rules of how they could get out of their vows. Now. The reason they're trying to get out of those vows is because they never should have made them in the first place because they never thought it through or they had wrong motives or it just was something that was it was something they treated very lightly that they never should have made in the first place. Now let's go over to the book of James. We've seen what James said in verse 12. When he said, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall in the judgment. Now let's go to the previous chapter, James chapter four, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and that, that's the problem. You boast in your arrogance or you make vows in your arrogance or you swear in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And that's, that's what we have here. Wrong motives, uh, not thinking these things through, and it's ending up into a place of arrogance. Praise the Lord. Now, what James is addressing is oaths and swearing that are done out of a boastful, arrogant heart. And that's wrong. He says that's wrong. So that's the context of what he's talking about. And Jesus, the context of what he's talking about is those who have made vows and they're trying to get out of them. They're trying to get out of vows they never should have made in the first place. Now, there were conditions in which the rabbis could release a person from a vow. And uh, you could get out of a vow if a person of greater authority spiritually, you talk to that person, you explain that they could release you out of it. But there's some other things. That if you commit it to, God would expect you to carry it through and not try to just jump out of it because now you're experiencing what the commitment level is. Like marriage. 
or something like that. Well, I, I didn't know I couldn't mess around anymore. You knew exactly what that meant. And you should have, you should have thought that through. You should have thought that through. Well, I feel like I, my days are running around and I'm over with. You should have thought that through before you married that person. So you see the foolishness in this type of stuff. Making vows and not understanding what you're getting into. This is for life. This is for life. A vow in many ways is, is a covenant. Is a covenant agreement. Mm -mm. That's, and that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what James is talking about. These are weighty things that, that the religious leaders and others that James is referring to, they're treating this stuff that's sacred very, very lightly. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, James is dealing with arrogant, boastful oaths, boastful types of swearing. And when James is saying, in a sense, that you shouldn't say we're going to go to this city or you shouldn't say we're going to spend time there. Look, he's not saying that you can't make any kind of plans. And that's what some people do on that. They take that out of context. And, well, we can't make any plans. We just never know what's going to happen. It reminds me of the time when I had a worker that I had hired and he was doing some work for me up on the mountain and he was uh, working in this one area, helping to clear this property. And I said, I said, well, brother, you did a great job today. I said, I'll see you tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. And I, I don't know why you ever met people like this. They always try to act spiritual, even when you know they're not really spiritual. <laughs> they like to throw out some spiritual lingo. And so I said, I said, good job. I said, I'll see you tomorrow morning at eight o'clock in the morning. He said, all right. He said, well, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. And, and the creek don't rise. <laughs> Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Well, Pastor Stephen, we should say, Lord willing. We shouldn't commit. We should only say, Lord willing. Well, I said, well, if the Lord ain't willing, you ain't here. You can get no money tomorrow. <laughs> he got, suddenly got serious. I said, first of all, there ain't no creek that you've got to cross, and I believe the Lord's willing, and I'll be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. And if you're not here, <laughs> well, whether the Lord's willing or not, you're not going to get paid. <laughs> And I said it kind of in a smiling way, but also in a way to kind of like hit that, well, now, Pastor Stephen, we're all just a vapor. We don't even know if we're going to be here tomorrow. No, I'm going to be here tomorrow. Unless the rapture takes place, I'm going to be here tomorrow. Now, Pastor Stephen, we should not book a plane ticket because we don't even know in two weeks if we'll be here or not. Now, that's just being stupid. That's like going to a job interview, and, they, and, and they, they want to give you the job, and they say, we need you to start in three days. Well, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. They'll say, you need to get your creek and your Lord willing right on out of here. We'll get somebody around here who's normal and ready to show, show up for work. <laughs> we have to have reliable people that we can depend on, not goofy stuff. <laughs> That's what James is hammering, this arrogant boasting. This arrogant boasting of, uh, we're going to do all this, we're going to do all that. I swear we're going to do it. You just watch, I swear. You, you, can't, you can't arrogantly boast and swear like that. I make a vow, we're going to do it. You, you can't do that. That, that's, that. That's way out of order. That's what Jesus and that's what James are talking about. There is still a pure and holy vow. But you can come into that on the right terms and in the right heart condition. Got to work with you. But not this other stuff. Don't do this other stuff. Don't swear. Don't make oaths in that form of nature. Praise God. In other words, what James is saying in verse 12, but above all, my brethren, do not make arrogant, boastful swearing, either by heaven or by earth or with any other boasting, arrogant oath. 
That's the context of what he is saying. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm -mm. I stood next to a, a good Christian brother, and he had just completed a beautiful swimming pool uh, at the property of where he lived. And he stood back and he said, I'm, my family and I will never leave from this place. We will be here. We will be here. Like, I can't remember if he said forever or something like that, but he was basically saying, we're not going anywhere because this is where we're going to be. And I thought, I thought, Lord, he's probably going to end up moving. Because when you make real boastful things like out of the flesh, like, yeah, we've done all this. And yeah, two years later, they're gone. Oh, no, we're never going to leave this place. Two years later, boom, gone, gone. <laughs> and the decision to leave, boom, happened overnight. Well, that's never going to happen to me, Pastor Stephen. I give you my word. I swear. Careful, careful, careful. <laughs> Woo. Pastor Stephen, I swear I'm never going to lie ever again. God, I swear I'll never tell another lie. You probably just told one right then. <laughs> Woo. Careful on these certain areas that are beyond you. See what I'm saying? Mm -mm. Well, praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, so let's talk about oaths that are pleasing to the Lord. There is an oath that is acceptable in the eyes of God, and it has certain qualities to it. Number one, it is a, is a vow or an oath where it's vowed in faith. It's also a vow that's taken in a pure motive, and it is also, listen, this is very important. It is a vow that is done with very careful consideration. Not in the heat of the moment, not just because maybe everybody else is doing it. No, it's something that's done with very careful consideration. You have to really weigh it before you ever... Uh, Sign up for it. Mm, mm, mm. It's kind of like the military. You know, you, you want to join the Marines or Air Force, uh, and they, they like you. Everything's good. Once you sign your name, they got you. And that, there's nothing wrong with that because you want to be in. But uh, it's not like you can say you next morning, hey, you know, what, what did I just do? Uh, it's too late. Uh, you're going off boot camp in two weeks. <laughs> Woo! Praise the Lord. You signed on the dotted line. Well, I, I didn't really understand what I was doing. It's too late. It's too late. Only way to get out now is dishonorable discharge. You don't want that? Praise God. Mm. Well, Pastor Stephen, like, what happens if I actually do make a vow to God? And, I mean, I, 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 have, I really mean it. And uh, what happens if I get down the road some way a couple of years and, and I just want out? What, what, what does all of that mean? I don't know. It could, it, a lot of that could depend on who you are in the Lord, what the vow uh, pertained to. And if it was a serious, serious enough vow and you want out, it uh, could, uh, could very well mean, get ready for this. Some of you, this might be a little bit new to you, could very well mean that you probably should think about leaving the planet because God, if you're not willing to uh, keep your vow and do what you told God you're going to do, he might just take you home. Oh, Pastor Stephen, you know, you need to teach a whole chapter on grace before saying something like that. Oh, that is the grace of God. I'm very, very well familiar with the grace of God. <laughs> I'm just familiar with the other scriptures in the Bible, too. Plus a lot of real life stories. 
That'll make the hair stand up on the back of your neck, make you want to really think about what you're doing before you ever do it, about making a vow. Mm-hmm. How many of you heard of uh, Prophet Kenneth Hagin? And a great Bible teacher, one of the greatest teachers in my estimation of the Word of God that, uh, I mean, just his, his teachings gone all over the world, lifting people out of all kinds of messes. And it's, it, when we say his teaching, it's just the revelation of what's already in the Word. But he brought forth revelation of faith, the Word of faith, that produces great victory in your life. But, you know, um, when he was saved, he was saved in a, in a condition where he had an incurable heart disease. And he made a deal with God. He made a vow to God that basically if God would uh, raise him up and you know, save him and so forth, that he would preach. And he'd preach it all over. He started off by saying, God, I'll, I'll preach it all over the local area. And he thought, I'll go a little bit bigger. Lord, I'll preach it all over Texas. Lord, I'll preach it all the way down to the Rio Grande River and all the way up to Amarillo. Then he just said, Lord, I'll teach it everywhere. And uh, the Lord heard that. The Lord heard that. And he was eventually healed. And he's out and about. Uh, and it was an incurable condition of his heart because his heart had multiple problems not just one but multiple things that were wrong with it and God God healed him he's out and about starts his ministry his ministry gets going and uh, you know things begin to pick up the ministry is getting real busy and he's just traveling all the time preaching preaching but he's in the will of God and he's traveling all the time preaching preaching it's very very difficult uh, for a while he tried to take his wife Aretha and the children uh, with him, you know, but you know, they had a fifth wheel trailer and he would take that along and take the family. And it was very, very hard because when he's preaching all the time and then they come back out, you just got to be in the little trailer and everybody's kind of cooped up there and the kids are on the road all the time. And so it was just very, very difficult. So eventually the wife and the children just stayed home and Aretha raised the children. And Kenneth Hagin said, whenever he would come home off the road, and see his wife and kids, and then have to leave again, because he only stay a little bit before he had to go back out to another meeting. He said sometimes as he was driving off in the car away from his family, he would just weep and weep and cry because he missed his children so much. He loved the son and daughter. He would weep and cry and said, God, this price that I have to pay to serve you, to fulfill this vow. Whoo, Lord, this is tough. And you know what? It was real tough for his wife. And his wife, Aretha, basically said, this is, this is just too much. This is too hard. And you know what he did? They reached the place where they both realized this is so difficult that Kenneth Hagin, he said, I'm, I'm coming off the field then. When I I'm the field, I'm talking about the field ministry of an itinerant minister. He said, I'm coming off the field. And he canceled all of his meetings. He canceled all of his meetings and went home. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Aretha and said, well, you know what? If you don't like him traveling, I can take him home. And that didn't mean home there in Texas. That meant home in heaven. And it, the voice was so real. Aretha looked for who said it, but she knew God had spoken that. But Kenneth Hagin came home. He canceled all of his meetings and just basically said, I, this is just too hard. This is too hard for me to do what I told God I would do. And uh, 
he got into a place where his heart began to vibrate and have so many problems that he knew he was about to die. And he, he basically said, you know what? If I don't preach, I'm going to die. And you know what? He probably would have. If he would have said, God, this is too big of a price to pay. I can't do this. I just want to stay home. I want, to, I want a normal life. Well, if he'd had a normal life, he would have died from that incurable heart disease. But God healed him. God expected him to preach like he committed to, like you said he would. These things are very, very serious. So he almost died. So he repented. <laughs> and then when he repented, he said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> God instantly healed him. Praise the Lord. What about Archbishop Benson Idahosa from Nigeria? He came to America. Oh, they loved him in America because he's so dynamic, powerful preacher, can move in signs and wonders and miracles. And the famed evangelist actually offered him a beautiful house to live in said, Hey, I'll pay for it. I'll just pay for it. My wife and I, TL and Daisy Osmond said, we love you so much. We want you and your wife and your family to stay here in Tulsa. And he said, I'll buy your home. And he said, he said, I want you to go look at this home. If you'll just stay here in America, in Tulsa, he said, you can live in this home. And they went and looked at the, at the home. Archbishop Vincent Idahosa did with his wife. And when they went and saw the home, his wife said, this is it. We are moving in here because T.L. said, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for the whole thing. He said, you can pay me back later. But he said, I want you to move in. You own the home. You will own the home. He said, I just love you so much. You're my spiritual son. I want you to stay here in America. And so his wife said, oh, this home is beautiful. We're staying here. And T.L. Osborne said, wait. He said, there's three choices. You can select either one you want. Go look at the other home. And the wife said, oh, no, no, I want this one. He said, no, go look at the other home. So they went and looked at the other home, Benson Idahosa and his wife. And when they saw the second home, they were like, wow, this is over the top. And the wife said, oh, this is it. We choose this one. This is it. We're, we're living here. We're never moving from here ever. And T.L. Osborne said, no, no, no. Go look at the other option. She said, no, I don't even want to look. I want this. I mean, it was beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful subdivision. A wealthy, rich house. And she said, I want this one. He said, go look at the other one. And so they went and looked at the other one, and it was over the top. Swimming pool, everything, granite everywhere. Top of the line, the best quality that it could be built in a beautiful subdivision. And she said, this is heaven. She said, this is it. This is it. And Benson said, yeah, we'll take, we'll take this. This is it. And Teal said, okay, that's the one you want? And uh, they're like, yes. And the wife was like, yeah, this is it. This is it. And that night, while they're in that house, God came to Teal, uh, excuse me, God came to Benson, Idaho, and said, get back to Africa or you're a dead man. Oh, Pastor Steve, I don't know a God like that. Yeah, there's a lot missing on what we would call the spirit of the fear of the Lord in the Western church. It's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, by the way, that's coming back. Also, never forget that Ananias and Sapphira are not in the Old Testament. That is Acts. In the book of Acts, they fell dead in the church for lying and testing the spirit of God. That's New Testament with all of the grace and all of the love and mercy. They dropped dead right there 
in front of church members for knowingly committing sin. Mm-mm. And uh, so Vincent Idol host heard that and it terrified him. And God told him again, he said, get back to Africa or you're a dead man. I'm going to kill you. God means business. God means business. If you make a vow to him, well, I vow to preach the gospel all through Africa. What are you doing over here? Get back, get back. He packed up everything in the middle of the night and told his wife, God just told me, get back to Africa. He's going to kill me. She said, you can go. I'm staying in this house. <laughs> I'm never leaving this house. <laughs> he said, you can have the house. If I don't get out of here, I'm a dead man. And he told, he told T.L. Osborne said, daddy, daddy, God told me to get back. And, you know, T.L., the days were just like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it was a dream or something like that. He goes, oh, no, no, it was God. And he got back. He got back. And God got into the fullness of God's plan for his life. So you have to understand when you come to a certain area and you see wealth and you see luxuries and comforts that you may not experience where you're currently living and you see all of that. You're just like, well, forget everybody else I made a commitment to. Uh, uh, Lord, forget that vow. Lord, surely you understand. Oh, I'm not leaving this swimming pool. Mm-mm, not for nothing. <laughs> that by the next day, he had, the next morning, he had his suitcase packed and he was out of there on a plane that next day flying back to Africa. And man, when he got back, the miracles begin to roll. The meetings begin to happen. Tremendous apostolic anointing that he began to walk in. Why? He's at where he's supposed to be at. He's doing what God had called him to do. He's also doing what he committed to do through a vow that he made to God. God takes it very, very seriously. Please don't ever make a vow to God if you don't know what you're doing or you're not really, really serious about it. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. Well, there's many vows in the Bible. You have the Nazarite vow, Rechabite vow, all, all kinds of vows. But I want to share with you my two favorite ones in the Bible. First Samuel chapter one, please. You probably already know where I'm going on this one. First Samuel chapter one. But I do, I do sense that I'm teaching this message today, not for information or what we would call expanding our knowledge base. I'm teaching this because, because. There are some of you that the Holy Spirit would like to work with you, engage with you in connecting with God through a holy vow. Please be open to that. Praise the Lord. Don't want to scare you, but I do want you to understand that God still does vows today, but you just have to know what you're getting into because he expects you to keep your vow. Verse one. Now there was a certain man of Ramathim, Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of uh, Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. By the way, long story short, the names, the names of the children of Penina are not mentioned in scripture. Why? Uh, they didn't really do anything special. They didn't do anything that was notable. They did not leave a legacy. They did not establish something great. They're probably just like their mom, a person that was um, not, not a very nice person. But we know what's going to happen to Hannah. She's going to get a son that everybody's going to know about. And Penina had her children, her sons, but nobody knew anything about them. They never did anything great in life. Verse 3. 
Uh, verse 2 says, Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And so we have verse 5, but to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. I wonder why. Wow. We'll find out in just a moment. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year, year by year. I wonder how long this was going on before she finally said, I can't take it anymore. And the thought of, you know what? I'm willing to make a vow. Hmm. Wonder how many times, how many trips she had taken year by year up to Shiloh. Barren, frustrate it, irritate it with her situation and the mocking of the other wife and the ridicule. Whoo! It finally drove her to a place. She's like, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to consider making a vow. I'm really thinking about a vow. <laughs> I'm not speaking to everybody out there, but I'm speaking to somebody. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And see, he doesn't really get it. That She's like, hey, that's not really what it's about. You know, I'm glad you got, I've got all these other things. You're a good provider. You're doing all of this. I've got my own room. I got, I got everything I like. You got nice perfumes for me. You, you treat, I've got, you get, you treat me good. But I, the, the one thing I want, I can't get. Mm -mm. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So all of that uh, severe provoking, all of that ongoing miserable condition, all of that uh, humiliation and frustration she endured drove her to a point where she made a vow. Mm -mm. Lord Jesus, we thank you today. What is the central purpose of a vow? Well, here it is. It's you wanting something from God. You're willing to make a vow with God. Why? Because you want something from God. Hmm. And, and the thing is that you're making this vow because nobody else can do it. You're making a vow with God because obviously it requires a miracle. And, you know, she was in a place where doctors can't do anything. Nature can't do anything. No drugs, potions, or lotions can do anything. Only person can do something about this is the miracle worker, God. So she wants something from God. But why would God engage you in a vow? Here's why. Because whether it's you or Hannah, you're wanting something, but God will engage you because so often in setups like this, he's wanting something from you. Oh, well, that gives the possibility of you and God working together in a mutual accord. Mm -mm. Hannah 
wants a son. You probably want something too from God. Hannah wants a son, but that requires a miracle. Oh, but God wants something too. God wants a prophet, and that requires a baby boy. That's going to require a child being born, and if it's going to be the prophet that God wants, that has character, not like this stuff we're seeing with Hophni and Phinehas and all the shenanigans going on there at the, at the tabernacle and all the sin and fornication. Oh, Lord, have mercy. God wanted a prophet to rise up in this mess of moral failure and spiritual bankruptcy. That means in order to get a man like that, he's got to be trained from birth in the house of God so that he knows the ways of God and he has to have good seed, good godly parents. And God can take a child like that and get him around the prophetic and, and primarily also with the calling of oh, he's got to have a child. Wonder who's willing to give him a child. Nobody. Oh, except a lady who needs a miracle. Mm -hmm. Pastor Stephen I want God to make me a multimillionaire. Are you a tither? No. Do you give offerings? Well, not really. Well, why would God want to work with you? That's all for you. That's all in your favor. Yes, but God loves me. Yes, but he's not an idiot either. Since when has God, Jesus, the greatest Jewish business mind of all time, ever been stupid? Where he doesn't realize what's in it for me. I mean, even Peter. Jewish mind. Peter, when he sees the rich young ruler back off of joining Jesus and his evangelistic association, come follow me, sell it all, give it away to the poor, come follow me, I, I, I can't do it. And he didn't do it. Well, Peter's kind of standing there, the gears are turning, Jewish mind, thinking, um, <clears throat> Lord, uh, may I say something I I just would like to remind you that me and the other 11, uh, we did walk away from it all. Unlike him, we did give it all up. We left the boats, we left the nets, and the sardines, and the fish, and the tax business, and this. We left it all to follow you, Jesus. <clears throat> What's in it for us? Now, some of you, if you were Jesus, this is how you would answer Peter. What do you mean what's in it for you? You should just be happy I got you out of that sardine factory and got you over here in the ministry so you can finally have some dignity in your life. <laughs> Jesus said, oh, what's in it for you? I'll tell you what it's in it for you and for anybody else who's left house or land or father or mother or children for my sake 100-fold in this lifetime and and. For those of you, the 12, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, when I rule on the earth in Jerusalem, each one of you will be ruling over one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Whoa, Peter said, whoa, I'm glad I came with you. That rich young ruler was a, he was, oh, he did, whoa, 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 I'm glad I made the right choice. Mm -mm. So God's supposed to stand back and say, yes, I'll make a vow and I'll do everything you want. And I don't want anything out of it because no, 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 no. God wants something. He wants something from Hannah. And if she had not been in such a dire strait, I don't know if she ever would have been in a place where she was even willing to make a vow. Obviously nobody else was. 
Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. She made the vow. The, the, the man of God there, Eli, blessed it. She goes home, and she conceives from her husband. And God does the miracle. And she brings him and commits him to the man of God so that he can be raised there to tabernacle, learn the Torah, learn all of the commandments of God, and absorb the prophetic anointing, begin to train his ear to hear the voice of God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Pastor Stephen, what's the end result, particularly for Hannah, of a person who keeps their vows? What, what, is it, what does it do? Yes, yes, she gets the baby. She gets the boy. Uh, what, what does it really do? Well, God tells you, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, and Hannah prayed. Now, this is after she's had the miracle. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn, horn representation of strength. My strength, my horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile. At my enemies. Oh, now, Pastor Stephen, we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for them, and, and we're supposed to turn the other cheek. Yep. And you're also supposed to smile at them. Yep. Because you can hate me. You could want to kill me. You could want to get rid of all the Christians. But here we are, and we're blessed, blessed, blessed. And there is a place, yes, where you love your enemies, and you, you do good to them. You do good to those, them that even you bless those who curse you. But at the same time, at the same time, yes, you smile. Well, they burn with jealousy and wish that you would just, you know, be off the planet. And one day when the catching up with the saints takes place, yes, we'll be off the planet. But my friends, there is a place where God does such a work by blessing you with that thing. Yes, you have that thing. And what does it do? It makes you smile at your enemies. Mm -mm. You'll always have those that are jealous. You'll always have those that despise, maybe openly or secretly. You always would have those that would literally rejoice in your falling. I know that sounds awful. That can happen even in the church where some Christians are so undeveloped in their walk with the Lord that they delight in seeing others uh, have, uh, you know, uh, spiritual accidents. And then, then they talk and, and stuff like that. But I tell you what, when you're walking with God, walking right, and you have a vow, that thing will make you smile. It'll make you smile. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Smile at my enemies. Praise the Lord. You have to understand this different angle of the Lord, of what He's like. Yes, we, we see these other aspects, but you have to understand this part of Him too. He'll do something for you that'll make you smile at your enemies. You don't have to say anything. They just have to see it. Mm -hmm. And you smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. Why? Because you and God have something going on. And by the way, Hannah went on to have other sons. Praise God. All right, let's move to one more example uh, of the sacred vow. Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. This one's amazing. Praise the Lord. Judges chapter 11, we're going to go directly to verse 29, and we're going to look at Jephthah and the story of his daughter. Judges chapter 11, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, 
Oh, now, Pastor Stephen, he's about to make a very foolish vow. He's about to do, it. He's about to do something he's going to greatly regret. Well, it seems to me that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Not just on his journey and on his travels, but it seems to, that if you read this slowly and work your way through this, it seems like he could have made this vow that some would say was harsh and he later regrets. Could be that actually the Spirit of the Lord moved upon him to make it. And I do believe that the Holy Spirit can move upon the people of God at times. It's rare. It's not like you're doing it every week. Maybe not even every year. Maybe not even every five years, but there could be a time when the Holy Spirit moves upon you and you realize, I really need to consider making a vow to the Lord in this area. Why? Because there's something that you need from God and only God can do it. But you also have to understand God, God, God wants something from you. And here's the catch. It's probably something you would never, ever give him Unless you engaged with him in a vow. Hmm. Wow. You, you think Hannah would have given her son, if she had a son by natural birth, with no miracle, had her own son? No, 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 no. Lord, I know you need a prophet, but my, my little boy, he's not for prophetic ministry. He's going to be a doctor. Yes, because I want everybody to feel very proud of him. Yes, I, he's going to be a nuclear scientist or maybe a brain surgeon. Yes, yes. Well, and God says, I want a prophet. Oh, oh no, oh, oh, Lord, no, mm, no, no. Prophets are weird and, and mysterious, and, and they don't have respect with politicians or with the media. Oh, 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 no, Lord, no, 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 no. That's why vows work both ways. You get what you want, but God gets what he wants. And that thing that he wants is something you would probably never, ever, ever give him unless you met him on the on the on the field of engaging in a vow. Praise the Lord. And there are some that God calls to doctors, and there are some that calls, God calls to brain surgeons and what we would call noble positions. But what if God wants a prophet? What if God wants an evangelist? Oh, no, Pastor Stephen, may God never choose my child to be a minister. He would be away from home all the time, and I, I want him to be a real mama's boy, and I, I, I want to I just have him around me the rest of my life. Mm. Well, if he's called to be an evangelist, he's probably going to be traveling all over the place, maybe even go even internationally, and maybe even be called to go to dangerous areas. Oh, 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 no, no, no. Mm. You can see why these are rare things. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Mm, mm, mm. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. By the way, he is now one of the judges trying to hold together the people of God again after falling off into apostasy. It's, you know, it's kind of the broken cyclical record. And now he's endeavoring to uh, beat up the bad guys who have previously been beating up the people of God. Okay, now he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon. Mm. Oh, they're pretty tough. That's a tough group down there with Ammon. Yeah, Jephthah's a pretty tough guy too. Outlaw, biker type guy. He's going up against some tough guys and this, this is serious. Could get killed in a battle like this. Hmm. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Hmm. He made a vow to the Lord. Sure seems to me that 
This verse is mighty close to the verse before it. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Mm -mm. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, surely shall surely be the Lord's, and I'll offer it up as a burnt offering. Understand the meaning of the burnt offering. Burnt offering can also be an allegory to something that's completely devoted over to God. Because a burnt offering is something that was burnt completely. When the, uh, it's not like you save the skin or you save anything. In a burnt offering, the only thing left is ashes. It means completely devoted to the Lord. I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. And if he hadn't have done that, hadn't have made that vow, could have got his head cut off. Could have got his body shot full of arrows. Could have got rammed through with a sword. Probably wasn't going to turn out really good. I, you know, when, you, when you're a, a, a warrior like that, you, you get a sense that they had a rule in the Roman army. Uh, you would allow like one exemption. If you just woke up and you knew I'm having a really bad day and you're, but you're about to go in the battle. You could have your one bad day exemption. In other words, you get up on the wrong side of bed or you tripped over your, you know, your backpack or you, you put your shoes on. You accidentally cut your arm on your sword and you're like, what is going on? This is going to be a bad day. Uh, but, but outside of that, you got to go fight. Well, he's having a day like that. He just had a, he had kind of like a, a sense like, I'm going to need God today or this could be my last day on planet earth. Mm -mm. Made a vow. And the Lord delivered the Ammonites into his hands, and he defeated them from a roar as far as Mineth, twenty cities, and to Abel, Karamim, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And he sliced them and diced them with the sword. Yes, yes, yes. God came through for him. Now it's time for. Uh, Jephthah to uphold his end of the bargain. Maybe, maybe the pet dog will come running out of the house first. Yeah. Yes, I can offer my dog to the Lord. Yes. Kind of old anyhow. Doesn't really matter. Maybe, maybe that pet, pet goat will come running out of the house. Yeah. Yes, fine. Maybe a servant. Yeah, that old servant will probably come out first. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. And she was his only child. Don't you know that just hit him with an impact? He knew, oh, oh, wow. Think about the impact of what just hit him. She's playing, you know, dancing and timbrels and stuff like that, singing. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. Well, Pastor Stephen, surely God understands. Yeah, he understands you go back on this. Yeah, you're probably not going to be around on the planet very much longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Pastor Stephen, that preacher was preaching in the pulpit, just dropped dead. I wonder what happened. Well, we'll find out one day, won't we? Hmm. Could have been an unkept vow. Could have been a broken vow. Praise the Lord. For I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies. Glad you're alive, Dad. Yeah. Hmm. The people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months. You know, get your sleeping bag and your tents and your friends and here's some spending money and go eat all the pizza you want and have fun. Go walk through the malls and enjoy yourself and, you know, have a nice time. And he sent her away for two months and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of the two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man. Wow. It's fascinating. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What did Jephthah want? He made a vow. What did he want? He wanted victory in a situation where, yeah, he's probably not going to win this battle. He said, God, <laughs> I'm willing to make a vow with you. And he made a vow. It had, it had a term and a condition to it. God gave him a victory. Oh, but what did God want? Well, I believe the Holy Spirit moved upon Jephthah to even stir him up to make a vow. Why? Because God wanted something too. He wanted a trophy. God wanted a rare trophy from the house of the outlaw biker. Mm -mm. You have to understand a little bit about Jephthah very quickly. Verse 1 from chapter 11. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. He was the son of a harlot. Verse 3, part B, worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. But he's real good with the sword. See, because he was the son of a harlot, his other brothers, see, his dad slept with a harlot, and he was produced through that relationship. But his dad was also married to a wife. Uh, so he messed around, obviously. And the wife had other sons to the father. And the son said, you're not a legit. The other brother said, you're not a legitimate brother to us. You're not even a legitimate son. You're out. And they threw him out, basically. And he's on his own. But he's a tough guy. And he had all these bandits and raiders get around him. And they joined up together. And they would raid and plunder the enemies. He's real good with the sword and real good in leading men. But he still had that reputation, and you also see his lineage. And even when they asked him to be the leader, because they're also the, the, the Israelites are being oppressed. Verse 7, so Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? Now, you, you see all these things baked into an underlying frustration of not wanting all of that junk to win over him. And not wanting to go down in a situation of humiliation where people mock him and laugh at him and degrade him because of something that was not even his fault. Something he had no involvement with. He's just a byproduct of it. 
God's like, I could work with the guy like that. He's got something I want, and there's something he's going to want from me. He wants victory. Why? To show them all. Hey, hey, you may think I'm a nut. You may think I'm a loser. You, you know about my mom, but God has made me a conqueror. What does that mean? That means he's going to win. He's going to conquer. What does that allow him to do? Smile at all of those who talk behind his back. His mother's a harlot. You can think what you want. I'm a great warrior. I just wiped out a whole army. And see, all that makes you smile. Smile at your critics. They might not even understand why you're smiling. <laughs> That's okay. It's between you and God. But see, God wanted something too. Again, he wanted a trophy from the house of the outlaw. He wanted a Jewish nun. That's exactly what he wanted. And it reminds me of the words of the wonderful woman of God, St. Therese of Lisieux, who said, why can't God just have a few of his own that are completely devoted to him? He was talking about young girls, young women that would become nuns and grow up in a convent and love God with all of their hearts. Why can't God have some that are completely devoted to him? Why do they all have to go around in miniskirts and want to make out with all the boys? Why do they all want to go to the movies and look at that stuff? Why, why, why can't God have a few that want to be holy and sanctified and completely given over to God? Oh, Pastor Stephen, her daddy took her and threw her on an altar and burned her in the flames. No, he didn't. No. He released her off into seclusion, into a community of like-minded people. There's always been what we would call the mystics, whether in the time of John the Baptist, you had the Essenes, and even many theologians say that perhaps John was an Essene himself. You've always had what we would call the hermits out in the desert, those that wanted to get away from the... <laughs> bestial nature of crude, degrading men and just live their lives with the Lord. And the Lord calls a few to that. Very, very few. Well, he wanted a young girl. Praise the Lord. Notice that it says she went with her friends for two months and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. She's not sitting there on the mountains crying. Oh, in two months, my daddy's going to have a barbecue and I'm, the, I'm, I'm what's going to get thrown on the fire. I'm going to be dead in two months. I'll never be. My life is over in two months. She didn't do that. She's not bewailing her death. She's bewailing her virginity. That she's going to be a virgin for the rest of her life. And she honors her father. She comes back after the two months. She doesn't run off. Well, nobody's going to tell me what to do with my life. I'm going to run off to Egypt. And I'm going to marry a man. No, no, no. She understands covenant. She understands her dad's also in a place. He's got to fulfill this vow. And guess what? God's in the whole thing. He's in the whole thing. Why? Jephthah wants something from God. God wants something from Jephthah. Mm -mm. And by the way, how many other Jewish moms and dads are, were willing to give up their daughter to go out in the wilderness, to go out in the desert, to be those that we would call the, the prophets of the wilderness? Well, I'm willing to send my daughter out there. No, no, no. Nobody is. Nobody is. So God needs somebody that's willing to be in a desperate strait where he can come through for them so that they can come through for him. Mm -mm. This is what you call a win-win situation. Well, Pastor Stephen, it doesn't seem like Jephthah's daughter was on the winning side of this. Oh, no. She found out. 
in a sense, what Jesus would later say, that if you lose your life, you'll find it. Mm -mm. Oh, Pastor Steve, I feel so sorry for her. She couldn't go to high school. How many of you know what high school's like? <laughs> How many high schools have corrupted the young people with the most profound, profoundly filthy language and just like thrown to the wolves where you're trying to serve the Lord and you're just thrown in with all the heathens. And the next thing you know, because maybe you don't have a, a, a righteous base built into you, you're, you're just broken down and you're next thing you know, you're just like them. Mm -mm. She lost that life and found the life in God that was secretly veiled that she only discovered off in the secluded area with those, with those few that were just like her. Well, Pastor Stephen, after hearing all this, I, I don't know if I ever want to make a vow with God. Good. Good. You should understand this weighty stuff. And that's why Jesus and James spoke against about vows or making swearing type statements that are all coming out of arrogance and boasting and also trying to wiggle out of vows and not even really uh, treating the vow with reverence that they're, they're just, they're just totally shutting all of that down. But the real thing is there and there is a divine mystery tied into it. And don't be surprised if God is working in a way where this might be the only way for you to get this done is to meet God with the vow. All I'm saying is that if you do that, do it in faith, make sure that the motive is very pure and also make sure you do it with very careful consideration. Don't ever rush into it. Praise the Lord. Lift your hands. Father, I pray for those that are watching today. Some are facing unusual situations. There's always a solution, which is found in your word by the illumination of your spirit. Father, there would be some that are listening today and uh, they're enjoying the exposition of your word, but they're thinking, well, I don't really think I'm in a, a time frame where this fits, but one day will come and it will fit. So Father, we just thank you as we're all in different moments, but for some, they'll pull this book off the shelf. This sermon will come back when they need it. But for others, it is a now moment for them. So, Father, we just give you praise. Let us follow your principles when it comes to the making of vows. And let us, if we're going to do it, let us get it right. Bless your people. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, salvation, can only be found in him and he presents it and makes it available to you today. If you would like to leave the life of sin and spiritual death behind and step over into the life of Christ, then pray this prayer and call upon him right now and he will save you. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, wash all of my sins away. I believe you died for me on the cross and you rose again on the third day. And that you're seated right now at God's right hand. Jesus, save me. Write my name in your book of life. I give my life completely to you. And I turn from my sins. And I live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Teach me your ways. In your name I pray. Amen. 
and amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the family of God. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. Now, let us take Holy Communion. Mm, mm, mm. Woo! Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow. This is getting through. This message is getting through to a part of the world that is very dangerous. And you could die at any moment. And you don't really know about Jesus. How about make a vow to him if you're not sure? Just say, Jesus, I've heard about you. If you get me out of this alive, because I'm surrounded by certain death. If you get me out of this alive, me and my family safely, I will give my life to you. Watch what he'll do for you. He will prove himself to you. But that is a vow. And he would expect you to commit to it. And by the way, who wouldn't want to <laughs> Woo! when he comes through? Oh, he's a master at this. As you can see, he's been doing it for thousands of years. Let's grab some grape juice and some unleavened bread. I use these little prepackaged cups. They're so nice, especially when you travel. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We pray over it and we bless it. We set it apart as holy. We receive it now as the body and the blood of Jesus. And Father, as we receive the body of Christ, we thank you that all of your promises are yes and amen. And as we look around what's on the banquet table that's been made available for us as believers in Christ, we see there on the table healing and gifts of the Spirit and joy and happiness. Oh, we see the vow. Hmm. Well, Father, as we receive the body of Jesus, let us this week meditate and consider the divine mystery and the potential of the sacred vow. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the flesh of Christ. Father, thank you for the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. Mm -mm. If we've committed any sin, we ask that you would forgive us, wash us from all sin, Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. We receive his blood, and we give you all of the praise. We thank you, O oh God, that you allow us to smile at our enemies, those who would wish us harm. You allow us to smile at them. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. My friends, the question is not, Will God fulfill the vow? The question is, will you fulfill your commitment? Think about that, because God would expect you to keep your vow. Praise the Lord. Father, bless your people. Let it be a week of contemplation for them, and we thank you once again for your Holy Spirit, who leads us into all truth, and what we should do with these truths, how we should act upon them. Thank you, O oh God. Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching. I'll see you back next time.